is the Anxiety Free Life Podcast, episode number two, a reading of Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Opportunity came by the back door. When the opportunity came, it appeared in a different form and from a different direction than Barnes had expected. That is one of the tricks of opportunity. It has a sly habit of slipping in by the back door, and often it comes disguised in the form of misfortune or temporary defeat. Perhaps this is why so many fail to recognise opportunity. Mr Edison had just perfected a new office device, known at that time as the Edison Dictating Machine. His salesmen were not enthusiastic over the machine, they did not believe it could be sold without great effort. But Barnes knew he could sell the Edison Dictating Machine. He suggested this to Edison and promptly got his chance. He did sell the machine. In fact, he sold it so successfully that Edison gave him a contract to distribute and market it all over the nation. Out of that business association, Barnes made himself rich in money. But he did something infinitely greater. He proved that one really may think and grow rich. How much actual cash that original desire of Barnes was worth to him, I have no way of knowing. Perhaps it brought him two or three million dollars, but the amount, whatever it is, becomes insignificant when it is compared with the greater asset he acquired in the form of definite knowledge that an intangible impulse of thought can be transmuted into material rewards by the application of known principles. Barnes Literary thought himself into a partnership with the great Edison. He thought himself into a fortune. He had nothing to start with except the capacity to know what he wanted and the determination to stand by that desire until he realised it. The man who quit too soon. One of the most common causes of failure is the habit of quitting when one is overtaken by temporary defeat. Every person is guilty of this mistake at one time or another. An uncle of R.U. Darby was caught by the gold fever in the gold rush days and went west to dig and grow rich. He had never heard that more gold has been mined from the thoughts of men than has ever been taken from the earth. He staked a claim and went to work with a pick and a shovel. After weeks of labour, he was rewarded by the discovery of the shining ore. He needed machinery to bring the ore to the surface. Quietly, he covered up the mine, retraced his footsteps to his home in Williamsburg, Maryland, and told his relatives and a few neighbours of the strike. They got together money for the needed machinery and had it shipped. The uncle and Darby went back to work the mine. The first car of ore was mined and shipped to a smelter. The returns proved they had won the, of the richest mines in Colorado. A few more cars of that ore would clear the debts, and then would come the big killing in profits. Down went the drills, and up went the hopes of Darby and Uncle. And then something happened. The vein of gold ore disappeared. They had come to the end of the rainbow, and the pot of gold was no longer there. They drilled on desperately desperately trying to pick up the vein again, all to no avail. Finally, they decided to quit. 
They sold the machinery to a junk man for a few hundred dollars and took the train back home. The junk man called in a mining engineer to look at the mine and do a little calculating. The engineer advised that a project had failed because the owners were not familiar with fault lines and his calculations showed that the vein would be found just three feet from where the Darbys had stopped drilling. And this is exactly where it was found. The junk man took millions of dollars in ore from the mine because he knew enough to seek expert counsel before giving up. Success with one step beyond defeat. Long afterward, Mr. Darby recouped his loss many times over when he made the discovery that desire can be transmuted into gold. The discovery came after he went into the business of selling life insurance. Remembering that he lost a huge fortune because he stopped three feet from gold, Darby profited by the experience in his chosen work by simply by the simple method of saying to himself, I stopped three feet from gold, but I will never stop because men say no when I ask them to buy insurance. Darby became one of the small group of men who sell over a million dollars in life insurance annually. He owed his stickability to the lesson he learned from his quitability in the gold mining business. Before success comes in any man's life, he is sure to meet with much temporary defeat and perhaps some failure. When defeat overtakes a man, the easiest and most logical thing to do is quit. That is exactly what the majority of men do. More than 500 of the most successful men this country has ever known told the author their greatest success came just one step beyond the point at which defeat had overtaken them. Failure is a trickster with a keen sense of irony and cunning. It takes great delight in tripping one when success is almost within reach. The Child Who Mastered a Man Shortly after Mr. Darby had received his degree from the College of Hard Knocks and decided to profit by his experience in the gold mining business, he had the good fortune to be present on an occasion that proved to him that no does not necessarily mean no. One afternoon, he was helping his uncle grind wheat in an old-fashioned mill. The uncle operated a large farm on which a number of coloured sharecrop farmers lived. Quietly, the door was opened and a small coloured child, the daughter of a tenant, walked in and took her place near the door. The uncle looked up, saw the child and barked at her roughly. What do you want? Meekly, the child replied, My mummy said to send her 50 cents. I'll not do it, the uncle retorted. Now you run on home. Yes, sir, the child replied, but she did not move. The uncle went ahead with his work. So busily engaged that he did not pay enough attention to the child to observe that she did not leave. When he looked up, and saw her still standing there. He yelled at her, I told you to go on home. Now go, or I'll take a switch to you. The little girl said, Yes, sir, but she did not budge. The uncle dropped the sack of grain he was about to pour into the mill hopper, picked up a barrel stave, and started towards the child with an expression on his face that indicated trouble. Darby held his breath. He was certain he was about to witness an assault. He knew his uncle had a fierce temper. When the uncle reached the spot where the child was standing, she quickly stepped 
forward one step, looked up into his eyes and screamed at the top of her voice, My mummy's got to have that 50 cents. The uncle stopped, looked at her for a minute, and then slowly laid the stave on the floor, put his hand in his pocket, took out half a dollar and gave it to her. The child took the money and slowly backed toward the door, never taking her eyes off the man whom she had just conquered. After she had gone, the uncle sat down on a box and looked out the window into space for more than ten minutes. He was pondering with awe over the whipping he had just taken. Mr. Darby too was doing some thinking. That was the first time in all his experience that he had seen a coloured child deliberately master an adult white person. How did she do it? What happened to his uncle that caused him to lose his fierceness and become as docile as a lamb? What strange power did this child use that made her master of the situation? These and other similar questions flashed into Darby's mind, but he did not find the answer until years later when he told me the story. Strangely, the story of this unusual experience was told to the author in the old mill on the very spot where the uncle took his whipping. The yes behind the no. As we stood there in that musty old mill, Mr. Darby repeated the story of the unusual conquest and finished by asking, what can you make of it? What strange power did that child use that so completely whipped my uncle? The answer to his question will be found in the principles described in this book. The answer is full and complete. It contains details and instructions sufficient to enable anyone to understand and apply the same force which a little child accidentally stumbled upon. Keep your mind alert and you will observe exactly what strange power came to the rescue of the child. You will catch a glimpse of this power in the next chapter. Somewhere in the book you'll find an idea that will quicken your receptive powers and placed at your command, for your own benefit, this same irresistible power. The awareness of this power may come to you in the first chapter or flash into your mind in some subsequent chapter. It can come in the form of a single idea or it can come in the nature of a plan or a purpose. Again, it may cause you to go back into your past experiences of failure or defeat and bring to the surface some lesson by which you can regain all that you lost through defeat. After I described to Mr. Darby the power unwittingly used by this little coloured child, he quickly retraced his 30 years of experience as a life insurance salesman and frankly acknowledged that his success in that field was due in no small degree to the lesson he had learned from the child. Mr. Darby pointed out that every time a prospect tried to bow me out without buying, I saw that child standing there in the old mill, her big eyes glaring in defiance, and said to myself, I've got to make this sale. The better portion of all sales I've made were made after people had said no. He recalled too his mistake in having stopped only three feet from gold. But, he said, that experience was a blessing in disguise. It taught me to keep on keeping on, no matter how hard the going may be, a lesson I needed to learn before I could succeed in anything. Mr. Darby's experiences were commonplace and simple enough, yet they held the answer to his destiny in life. Therefore they were as important to him as life itself. He profited 
by these two dramatic experiences because he analyzed them and found the lesson they taught. But what of the man who has neither the time nor the inclination to study failure in search of knowledge that may lead to success? Where and how is he to learn the art of converting defeat into stepping stones to opportunity? And that's the end of this episode. I'll see you in episode number three. Want to support this podcast and live an anxiety-free life? What would it be like for you to live an anxiety-free life? Are you still struggling with anxiety? Is the stress and the panic attacks just too much? If you want to speed up your success and results, then I'd like to help you with a special anxiety-free life blueprint where we work together so you get the exact plan for power and confidence, knowing exactly what you want, why you want it, where you want to go, what that looks like, and how you'll make that happen. Discover any hidden problems that are in the way and slowing down your progress. De- slowing down your progress. You'll get results at last, and you'll leave this session feeling renewed, inspired, and full of energy and power you want to finally get the freedom from anxiety you deserve. And you'll find all that at anxietyfreelifeblueprint.com.